Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The pressures of the pandemic have caused plenty of couples to split up. But Danny and Mareka, my guests this week, have had the opposite experience deciding to move in together when Boris Johnson announced the lockdown back in March. I was actually on my way round to Breakers on the 23rd of March. By the time I arrived, she just said, oh, Boris has announced the lockdown, so you're stuck here. So ended up coming to the flat that we're now in together. I was sort of really happy to have met somebody and fallen in love with them. And although it's quick, it sort of just seems like the right thing to do to have moved in together and to be making these plans. Cohabiting couples like Mareka and Danny are the fastest growing household formation in the UK. But a lot of people just don't understand the legal or the financial consequences of moving in together. This couple are hoping to avoid that as Danny moves into the flat that Mareka owns. I want to know how we decide what's fair when one person moves in to another person's property. I'd feel a bit strange if he suddenly became a half owner without having put half of the money in. Yeah, what's the best agreement that exists already? Because I can't imagine that we're the only people that are in this situation. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. Now, a lot of people listening to today's podcast might think, well, if a couple have just fallen in love and want to be together, why complicate everything by talking about the legality of who owns what and who pays for stuff? Well, I hope that by the end, you'll understand why getting it right really could be the best bedrock for a budding romance. This week's guests are Danny, a quantity surveyor about to turn 40, the same age as his partner, Mareka, a radio producer. We actually met both volunteering for Crisis at Christmas, obviously between Christmas and New Year last year. We were on a shift together and he started bossing me around and there was something about it that piqued my interest. (laughs) After that, we started spending a lot of time together and quickly realised that there was something there. The London flat they now share was bought by Mareka last year with some help from the bank of mum and dad. At the beginning, I definitely had this feeling that this is my flat. And while I wanted Danny to move in and live with me, you know, I needed there to be something that was mine. That has changed quite a lot. It's strange that, you know, the mortgage is in my name. It's not a very big mortgage, but I thought it would be a bit unfair for Danny to 
contribute towards it or even to pay rent if he's not getting a stake in the place and you know if we did break up that would feel a bit weird I suppose. Mm. So we've agreed that we're just splitting the utility bills I'm paying for all the food and that's the arrangement that we've had so far. That was fine for a while but it's become more complicated because working at home they felt the flat was too small. I was happily living here but um, when Danny moved in we started to realise quite quickly that it's fine for two of us, but it would be nice to make it a bit bigger. Around the time that they moved in together, Danny's mother sadly passed away. He is due an inheritance, and financing an extension to Mareka's property feels like the obvious thing to do. We're going through the planning process now. He was thinking the extension would be a bedroom, but it works out better that the extension's going to be a living room. I think it's going to be in the region of 100,000, possibly even 120. So it is a lot of money. And it was something that I'd been thinking of doing for a while, but just had no way of getting my hands on that kind of money and can't extend my mortgage really any further. And another reason they'd like to make their home bigger? Because they'd like to start a family. It's very quick for a couple who've been together less than a year, but I think after getting through a lockdown together, one lockdown and starting another, and spending so much time in each other's company, we've come to the conclusion that that is what we both want. Well, you know, if you can survive lockdown, then building work and a child. Yeah, all of the stress is in one big hit, really, yeah. (laughs) And have you ever thought about getting married? I'm not trying to get you to propose on air, but does that sort of thought horrify you? If you're thinking about owning a property together, then I often ask people, how would you feel about getting married? I'm not that bothered by it, actually. I think Danny is particularly unbothered by it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of marriage, to be honest. What is it, one in three now, or is it one in two marriages end? So, as a cohabiting couple who aren't married or in a civil partnership, Danny and Mareka are keen to find a fair way of organising their joint finances. And although there's a lot at stake, the good news is that this couple are comfortable talking about money together. Well, I mean, I think it's amazing as a couple that you've actually thought this far ahead about it, because I think a lot of people would just get carried away and not really sort of like worry about the long term consequences. But am I right in thinking that the most help one of my experts could offer you would be to give you some kind of options about how you can frame this financially? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, we don't anticipate that we're going to break up. And I really, you know, hope that isn't ever going to happen. But you don't know. And we don't have a crystal ball. And I think it's good to be realistic. Just sort of, yeah, some sort of understanding that if something were to happen or if we did separate, that neither of us would end up feeling resentful towards the other one for that reason, at the very least. Mm. We always have these discussions. Is this just a bit more of a British thing that we're too reserved about talking about how much we earn and our financial situation? I definitely think it is a British thing, but I also think that it's a very foolish thing because although it's awkward to have these conversations, it's a lot less awkward than, you know, having something bad happen further down the line. Yeah. And if you could own the flat together and have a joint mortgage, Mareka, how would you feel about that? I think I'd feel okay about it. Obviously, my stake in it is always going to be a lot bigger than Danny's. I don't know how that would work, dividing it up. I'd feel a bit strange if he suddenly became a half owner without having put half of the money in. But I don't have anything against it. Yeah, something's going to be drawn up at the beginning that we could just say, yeah, we agreed this is reasonable for both of our interests. 
Now we've talked through the issues, what do the couple want to find out from the experts? I want to know how we decide what's fair when one person moves in to another person's property. I can't imagine that we're the only people that are in this situation. I can see that there probably are a lot of people who have their own flat and one partner has moved in. So what exists now for other couples in a similar situation? Before we get to this week's experts, I think you'll be realising that cohabiting can bring up some tricky questions of law. So I thought it was sensible to emphasise that this podcast is a general discussion and does not constitute legal or financial advice. But let's get the basics out of the way. The most important thing to know is that in England and Wales, if a couple live together but are not married or in a civil partnership, neither of them automatically acquires a legal interest in assets, including property held by the other. So if Mareka and Danny split up in the future, the starting position would be that Mareka would keep her flat and Danny would not be entitled to anything unless he could argue that he was entitled to some kind of share because he'd been paying the mortgage or had put money into the property in some way. To get a better handle on the situation, I called one of the top family lawyers in London. I'm uh, Michael Gourier and I'm a partner in the family law team at uh, Withers Solicitors in London. Now, cohabitation, you could say, well, why complicate everything by talking about the legality of who owns what? Fundamentally, they have no statutory rights to fall back on if the relationship doesn't work out as they hope it will. It's important, therefore, that they have clarity about their situation, particularly if they're going to be co-investing in a property together. So at present, Mareka hasn't been asking Danny for a contribution towards the mortgage repayments or any form of rent. He has been contributing towards the food and the bills. So if they were to split up now, theoretically, then they could just both walk away. Yes, that wouldn't give rise to any claim at all against Mareka. I mean, Danny could try to raise that, but it's not going to run anywhere. It's really about financial contribution to the capital in the property. And that either is at the outset or by subsequent investment. But if that subsequent investment is going to reflect in him having an interest, then it needs to be documented either in a declaration of trust, very simple document, which conveyances can produce, or alternatively, a simple form cohabitation agreement or a combination of the two. So this term of being a common law spouse is something that people bandy around. But in reality, it doesn't have any kind of legal standing. That's right, Claire. Uh, The concept of a common law spouse went out in 1753 with Lord Hardwick's Marriage Act. And yet people still believe that if they live together with somebody for a period of time or have children together, that automatically gives them rights on relationship breakdown. There are no such rights. It is a myth. Therefore, those who live together and would like to have clarity and certainty when their relationship breaks down as to how their property will be dealt with, how their finances will be sorted, and even arrangements in relation to their children, they can enter into a cohabitation or living together agreement. And that makes sense to avoid ending up in a mess. So it was time for Michael to tell me in detail about these cohabitation agreements which apply in England and Wales. There is a distinct lack of understanding about the people's rights and responsibilities, obligations, if these sorts of relationships do break down. I think as that awareness grows, I think more people are realise that it is a sensible idea where they move in together, that they have these things properly documented. How they go about drawing it up, 
Well, they can either do it themselves on simple paper, as it were, and work out what it is that they really want to include in that document before they go to a solicitor to have it drawn up, or they can go to a solicitor and say, look, this is what we really want to try to achieve. We want to have a cohabitation agreement. Can you talk us through it? As these agreements are binding under law, Michael recommends that couples like Danny and Mareka should ideally each take independent legal advice before signing on the dotted line. But what kind of things could a cohabitation agreement spell out? They really need to understand or or work out first what they think is fair. And that might include things like if Danny does put some money in, what might that turn into in an interest in the property? Is he going to pay towards the mortgage? If so, how much? Are they going to run joint accounts to meet joint household expenses? What happens if they separate? Should the property be sold or should one of them be able to buy the other one out? All these sorts of things can be documented. Next, I wanted to get the perspective of a financial mind. Although Danny and Mareka have been together for less than a year, they're keen to make plans together. Angela Marson is a chartered financial planner for Fairstone in Staffordshire. And for her, it's all about being as honest as you can with each other. If you wanted a top tip, you should always start with the end in mind. Full and frank discussions now saves a lot of anxiety and potential legal costs later if relationships break down. I've spent 32 years in this role and seen the beginning, the middle and the end of relationships. I've had clients who have supported their children financially and seen them lose significant amounts of money when relationships break down just because of practical issues weren't dealt with at the beginning. So, Angela, let's talk about a couple of assumed scenarios for couples like Danny and Mareka who are moving in together. Now, firstly, if they stay in Mareka's flat and Danny then spends £120,000 on building the extension, how could those different contributions be fairly reflected? Okay, well, the legal ownership of the property currently sits with Mareka because Mm. she obviously took out the mortgage and purchased the flat. So for couples that are in this scenario, they could consider undertaking a declaration of trust. This doesn't change the legal ownership, but does alter the beneficial ownership of the equity. And therefore, their percentages of ownership can be reflected in that document. Angela is talking about something called a declaration of trust, a document relating to a specific property, which is simpler than a cohabitation agreement that Michael and I discussed earlier. So it wouldn't put his name on the mortgage, but it would be an undertaking between the two of them that if the property were ever sold, he'd be entitled to a percentage of it to reflect what he'd put in. Yeah, that's correct. And it would sit under the mortgage. It is private, but it is legally binding. And therefore, because of the nature of this, I would always recommend that clients actually seek legal advice before entering into any such arrangement. Whatever option the couple choose, if they're going to own a property jointly in future and start a family, Angela says there are other important financial steps they should consider taking. Now, obviously, the lockdown has accelerated the pace of lots of relationships, including Mareka and Danny's, but the financial benefits of taking things a stage further, perhaps, through getting married are not something you think they should ignore. Absolutely. And cynical or not, I have given this sort of advice and recommendation to clients. It doesn't necessarily have to be a marriage these days. It can be a civil partnership. Mm. But of course, that gives each other financial protection. 
particularly here, we're talking about valuable properties and where a couple are involved in a joint ownership and are not married, there could be an inheritance tax situation should one of them die. And that could be earlier than would be normally the case if they were married or in a civil partnership. Yeah. So, I mean, people might think, well, you know, that's never going to happen to me. But the inheritance tax threshold is £325,000 before tax applies. Absolutely. And for a lot of properties, certainly in London and the South East, you know, they're going to be worth more than that. And usually what would happen in a case where there was a marriage or a civil partnership, then property would pass between spouses or partners and that tax wouldn't kick in until the second death because there is an exemption, whereas a cohabiting couple don't have that opportunity. And therefore, there the could be tax payable. But it's not only the tax, it's the practical side of things. Where would that money come from? And certainly with clients that you've seen, how has this played out for them in that scenario? It's pretty tricky. It can be covered with life insurance, which obviously would provide a sum of money at the right point in time. But that is potentially an additional cost. And it's all the trauma as well of dealing with the practical things of a death of a partnership and trying to unravel that and potentially the capital being tied up in the property. Gosh, so selling the home could be the only option. You mentioned life insurance, Angela. Now, as new parents, potentially, Stanley and Mareka are trying for a baby, that is something that they should really seriously consider looking into. Absolutely. Wherever there is a liability in terms of a debt, so in this case, for example, a mortgage, life insurance protection is really quite important to make sure that should either Mareka or Danny pass away early, that that liability can be met. As far as having a family is concerned, there lies a responsibility. And therefore, should one of the parents pass away, then that can have devastating effects for that family dynamic. And money will be required to ensure that the family can perhaps stay in the home and have the proper childcare that's required. So absolutely one of the top priorities. And it's entirely possible that couples who live together will already have separate life insurance policies, perhaps through their workplace pension. But take note, if you're not married, then this won't automatically be paid out to a partner who you live with. You have to name them on the paperwork. And that means filling out a nomination of beneficiaries form, which is easy to do. And if you haven't updated yours for a while, you might want to check it. And while we're on the subject of paperwork, How about making a will? Because this is something that huge numbers of people in the UK just simply never get round to. Yeah, well, one thing's for certain is we're all going to die, Claire, and making a will is one of those things that everybody should consider. But especially in this situation whereby there is no marriage and there's going to be assets on both sides that are sort of intermingled with the property Mm. because it doesn't follow that should one of those partners pass away, the other partner won't necessarily inherit and that can cause serious difficulties. Obviously, where there's children involved, we need to appoint guardians, so it's an absolute essential requirement. For a couple who only got together a few months ago, all of this talk of death and taxes is quite heavy stuff. But as Angela says, although these conversations can be a bit awkward, this is nothing compared to the situation you'd be in if you weren't prepared and then something awful happened. So what did Mareka and Danny make of the experts' sobering advice? I think it's really sensible and if there's one thing that we've learned in the course of this year is that we should probably talk a lot more about death and be more open about it. I would really hate the idea that 
if I died, you know, because we hadn't sorted things out legally, Danny wouldn't be able to stay in this flat if he'd bought into it particularly. So that's one thing. Not sure about getting married, <laughs> Danny. We talked about it the other day, didn't we? We're not really, uh, still not really convinced. Yeah, I think it's definitely opened my eyes. And I was surprised that there hasn't been anything that's in law or in statute now for this situation. That's quite surprising. So Michael Gurrier recommended that two potential solutions could be either signing up a declaration of trust between the two of you or a cohabitation agreement to more formally reflect what you are doing together in respect of property ownership. I thought both those seem quite appropriate. We probably have a look at them and just see which is more beneficial for both of us. Cohabitation, I would have thought would be the better one. I don't know about you, Marika. I agree because I think we're still stuck on what we think is fair for both of us. And it sounds like a solicitor would be able to help us talk through some of the things that might factor into that. Now, Angela also mentioned a couple of other things that you might want to consider perhaps a little bit further in the future, particularly if we ever hear the patter of tiny feet. Life insurance and wills. How do you both feel about that? I haven't got a will, but yeah, it was on my list of things to do at the beginning of lockdown, funny enough, just while we had some more time. Okay. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I've also been looking at different income protection because I'm freelance. I need to get that arranged. Another part of that was going to be life insurance. So that's on my to-do list. But coming back to the property, do you have more of an idea now what you think you might do in the future? I think we're both pretty much agreed that we want to stay here for as long as it's practical and do this extension. I hope we can agree that we're getting a bit closer to working out what would be fair, Danny. Yeah, we've been a lot more open in recent times about um, how much we're earning and how much we're willing to contribute and put in. I do need to have a look at the amount I have ready for an extension. Uh, So we don't know the exact figures yet. In the main, are you pleased that you found out about all of this before you went any further? Even though it's slightly scary, it's a really good incentive to get our skates on and get some stuff written down. We've had the conversations about it, so now we need to do the paperwork and make it concrete. At least we know that there is something out there that we can go and speak to a lawyer about and get drawn up then. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, even though it's an off-the-peg solution, it's still better to have a solution than to wind up with a big financial problem in the future. But I just wanted to say thank you both so much, the pair of you, for coming on the podcast, talking about your relationship and talking about money. So quite a big ask. But I really think that a lot of people will listen to this episode and probably do something as you are as a result of it. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week. And we hope that you like what you've heard. Want to read more? Check out the show notes for links to articles I've written on these topics. Take a peek at our website, ft.com money. Grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper or follow us on Twitter at FT Money. Now, I'll share a thought with you. I'm really keen to speak to a guest who's looking to get their finances in order for the new year. If that sounds like you, then resolve to email me with a brief description of your story. Our address is money at ft.com. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love and Josh Delamere. Our sound engineer is Odin Ingeberson and our editor is Amy Keane. 
and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just to remind you again, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.